as uh, as Joel mentioned, we uh, we're we're actually wrapping up Advent today. We went completely non-traditional with Advent. Took the, we just kind of took the bull by the horns and made it our own thing. So um, our our series has been titled "The Feast: Hungering and Thirsting for the Messiah." So today we're wrapping up. Um, our series as we as we close out our year, uh, and there's a there's a feast story in Scripture. It's actually my my favorite parable. I won't be able to to get into everything in this parable, but it's in Luke 15. Uh, most of us probably know it as uh, the the prodigal son, and I absolutely uh, I, I love I love everything about this parable. Um, and if if you don't know it, it starts off. Jesus says there's there's this man who had two sons. Normally we think of the one son, but he says there's, there's two sons, and, and we know the one. Uh, the younger son comes up to his dad, and he says, hey dad, I know you're not dead, but I want my inheritance now. He basically says, I wish you were dead because I want your stuff. Uh, I want the stuff I got coming to me. And surprisingly, the dad says, okay, here you go, right? Sells off whatever he has to to give the younger son what he wants. And the son takes off with all his money. And he lives wildly, extravagantly, um, participating in you know, all kinds of debauchery. Um, and eventually he blows through all his money. And his, his friends are gone, right? They didn't care about him. They, they liked the party that he threw with all his dad's money. And, and he, uh, he's so broke that he has to find a job. So he goes and he works for this farmer feeding the pigs. That's, that's the work that he could find. And he's feeding the pigs. And he's so broke. He's so hungry and desperate that as he looks at the slop that the pigs are eating, he thinks, man, I wonder if I could take a bite of that. I wonder if I could fill my stomach on what they're eating. And then it says he comes to his senses, right? He realizes what he's thinking, what he's longing to eat. And, and, and he goes, man, I got to go back to my dad. Like, not as a son, but like maybe, maybe I can talk my dad into hiring me as a servant. Like I'll be the, the lowest servant. That would be better than feeding these pigs and longing for what they're eating. So he, he heads back home. And, and I'm sure, I mean, we all remember what it's like to be a kid and you did something wrong and you start rehearsing that speech that you're going to tell mom or dad. So he, he probably went over this speech a hundred times, right? Figuring out how he's going to convince his dad who, who he just wanted his stuff. He kind of just wanted him dead. How he's going to convince his dad to let him work for him now. So he's on his way back, and as Jesus tells the story, he says he's a long ways off, and his dad spots him. And his dad just takes off running towards his son. I mean, just sprinting at his son. He gets to his son, and he embraces him. And the son, I'm sure he's a little bit shocked that dad comes running, wondering maybe what is dad going to do to me? And he starts giving his little I'm sorry speech. Will you please hire me as your lowest servant? And the dad's not really hearing any of it. He's overwhelmed that, that his son who has been gone, that he didn't know what was happening with his son. He didn't know if his son was even still alive until this moment. He doesn't hear anything his son says. 
He's calling his other servants. He's like, hey, bring over my robe and put it on him right now. Give him my ring. Put sandals on his feet. In fact, go, go slaughter the fattened calf. We're about to have a party. My son that was lost is now found. And so the party starts and there's music, there's dancing, there's feasting on the fattened calf and who knows what else. But it's a story about two sons. The other son's been working in the field all day. And he's coming in from work and he hears, he hears that there's this party going on. And we'll pause right there. We'll get to the rest of the story later on. We'll get to the older brother but these two sons, they, they both had everything that they needed in their dad. Right? They, they had everything that they could have wanted in their dad. But they, they both choose these, these counterfeit feasts like Matt talked about a couple weeks ago. The younger son, he, he, he chose the feast of, I'm going to do anything I want. Right? That, that's how I'm going to find fulfillment in life. I'm going to party like, like there's no tomorrow. And the older son chooses a different way, right? He chooses to be uh, as good as possible and do everything that his dad said. But this party in this parable, it reminds me of this future feast, this, this feast in Revelation. Right? A party with and for all the sons and daughters that once were lost but now have been found in Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Revelation uh, 19. And throughout this series, we've referred to this future feast, and, and maybe have some clue what I'm talking about, maybe not, but it's, it's called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. Uh, I'm going to pick up in uh, Revelation 19.6, and John writes this book, uh, the same who wrote the Gospel of John. It says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, Right, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints." Verse 9, and this is where we'll be focused on most of the time. The angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these, these are the true words of God. And we're not really given much detail about this future feast. But I, but I do want to talk about the details we are given. This marriage supper uh, obviously involves a bride and a groom. And, and maybe you already know this in Scripture, but the bride of Christ is his church, right? Consisting of all believers of, of all times. But notice in, in verse 9, John doesn't write the name Christ. He doesn't say it's the marriage supper of, of Jesus. He doesn't write the marriage supper of the king or the marriage supper of the lion of Judah it's not the marriage supper of the Lord. John chooses another name. And if, if I were writing the final book of Scripture, which I was not invited to write, um, I would have chosen any of those other names before I chose the Lamb. But John, he loves the name. 
And so does Jesus. In Revelation, John writes lamb more than any other biblical author. My guess was that lamb must show up more in Leviticus, right? With, with all the offerings, with all the, the rules about, uh, the, the instructions about the sacrifices. I thought for sure Leviticus would have more, but it, it was in second. It was, it was kind of close, but Revelation is the top. 30 times John uses the word lamb, of course, referring to Jesus, so then I thought, well, okay, maybe this is just John's word, and he loves to use it all the time. In his gospel, he only uses it three times. So it isn't just a word that he uses a lot. He intentionally is choosing to call Jesus the Lamb in this final book. John and Jesus both want us to picture the Lamb. Let's jump back to Revelation chapter 5. Uh, verse 5, and, and to give you a little context before this, uh, someone, someone says, who, who, who can open the scroll? And, and John's looking around. I'm not even going to get to what the scroll's about, but he's looking around, and he's like, there's nobody here. No, no one is worthy to open this scroll, and he's weeping. And then in verse 5, it says, one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so he can open the scroll and its seven seals, right? Notice here, he calls him the Lion of Judah. That's what I would pick, I think. I would pick pick the lion because the lion's powerful, right? Even in a cage, you respect the strength of a lion and what a lion could do. I mean, just the way a lion walks, like struts, it is strong it's majestic, like you see its muscles as it strolls. I, I, I can't imagine like hearing a lion out in the wild that would send shivers down all of our spines. Right? The lion has that, the, 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 the mane, that, I mean, it really is like a crown, right? No wonder we call the lion the king of the jungle. And a lamb, right? a lamb is cute, I guess, if it's clean. There's nothing, nothing intimidating about a lamb. I've never been scared of a lamb. I don't know if you have. But, but I would have, I'm pretty sure, like if there was a sheep pen and I had a desire to pet a sheep, I'd just jump the fence and go in and pet a sheep without any fear at all. Look at verse 6. Between the throne and the four living creatures among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. That is strange. The wording here, a lamb standing as though it had been slain. That's a really interesting, it's a peculiar description. Which is it, John? Is the lamb standing or or has it been slain? Because if something's slain, it's not standing, right? It's on the ground bleeding out. Nothing slain stands for more than a moment. It falls and then it's game over. So it can be one or the other, but John, it cannot be both slain and standing. But John writes that this lamb is standing as though it had been slain, and he's not the one that's confused. I am. right. This is curious imagery. It's worth staring at and pondering and meditating on. And and before we go any further, I I, want to take a brief time out because I hope that as you are in Scripture, as you are spending time with Jesus, that, that this happens to you. Right, that that you 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 come upon things in Scripture. You maybe you've read them dozens and dozens of times, but this time you notice it. It stands out, and 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 on that day, it doesn't matter how many chapters you read or how long you've read your Bible. Right, you you, you just need to sit there, and, and and ponder what in the world it is that Jesus is revealing to you. 
I like to think of time with Jesus like a road trip, right? As you're in the word, as you're praying, as you're meditating on the truth of God, it's like you're, you're on a drive, right? And, and yeah, you've got, you've got a destination. You're headed somewhere for sure. But then you see uh, this, 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 this sight or, or you hear, hey, if you, if you pull over there and take a left and then half a mile down that road, you're going to see something amazing. So even though you've got somewhere to go, you decide to check it out and you get out of the car, right, to see this, this scenic viewpoint. Yeah, you've you got you to get to your destination eventually, but right now you just want to spend some time taking all of this in. You could have kept driving, but you pull over and, and you marvel, right, at, at this, whatever it is, a canyon or, or, or a river or, or a sunset or, or the ocean or whatever it is. You aren't rushed, right? Your destination isn't going anywhere. When you're in Scripture, you will see things that will stop you in your tracks. And checking off the number of chapters that day doesn't matter, right? And I get it, right? I, I do. I have goals about how much scripture I want to read to, to keep me going and keep me growing. And sometimes that's great. But sometimes those goals go out the window because you just read this imagery about something like a lamb standing as though it were slain. And you need to, you need to pull over and be mesmerized by that because that exists nowhere else in the universe. Jesus is a one of one. But we treat him like we're used to him. And I don't want to be used to Jesus. Right? Like it says all over in scripture, I want to acknowledge there's no one like you, God. Right? None like you. No one compares to you. Everyone else is a counterfeit. Everything else is a worthless imposter. So when I read here this lamb standing as though slain, I'm hitting the brakes. And I'm just trying to wrap my mind around what that means, what I'm reading. I don't know how many times I've read Revelation 19.9 before, but this spring it stopped me in my tracks. I've been, I've been chewing on this standing lamb as though it were slain since April. John and Jesus both want Jesus identified as the lamb. Why? Well, it seems to me that he, he wants at the very front of our minds at all times to remember that Jesus died for us. Right? He wants us to constantly recall that, that, that he was the lamb sacrificed in our place. Is he Lord? Yes. Right? He is the Lord who laid down his life. Is he king? Yes, he is the king of kings. That came down from his throne, led to be slaughtered. Is he strong and powerful like a lion? Yes, but he displayed his power in the strangest way by offering himself as the once and for all sacrifice. This lion of Judah, strong and mighty, became weak like a lamb in order to die for us so that we can live. Man, the complexities of Jesus cannot be overstated, right? That's, that's why we have so many names to describe him, more than I've listed this morning. But John, more often than any other image in this final book, pictures Jesus as the lamb. Right, and John's imagery in chapter 5, it's, it's like this mind-bending paradox, this Jesus who, who became weak for us, this, this lamb-like lion, this lion-like lamb died for us. Right? He, he willingly died for us, and he's standing now. He stands in victory. Right? This, this weak creature, this animal that's called dumb, 
right? And, and if we were to hear Jesus' plan to save us like b- before, before he died and rose, we would think it's dumb too, right? You're going to become fully human, fully man, fully God. You're going to willingly lay down your life. You're going to take on the sin of the world, right? You're going to pay the price for sin, die in the death that we deserve to die so that we could be forgiven. If we heard that plan, we'd probably call it dumb. It, it makes no sense that he wins by dying. He wins by saving those who rejected him. So this, 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 this weakling, this, this dumb animal that was slain, but on the third day rose from the grave in victory. Right? He is victorious over sin by dying. The death, uh, the, the grave could not hold him. God accepted his payment for your sin and for my sin. Anyone who wants to trust in Jesus' death to take care of their sin is forgiven. Jesus died for them. Let's let's look a little further in chapter 5, verse 11. It says, Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbered myriads of myriads, thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. He is worthy, just like we sang earlier. This lamb is not like all the lambs that came before him, sacrificed for sin. This lamb that allowed itself to become weak is now more powerful, more glorious, receives greater honor than anyone or anything because he is worthy. Truly, Jesus, the lamb, is worthy. And on that day, we will see his glory displayed. I love the words from that song, the day when our faith shall be sight. I love that line. Because I know that here and now, it's hard to believe at times. Right? Maybe it's hard, hard to believe that he really is God. Or maybe you don't struggle with believing that Jesus is God. Maybe, maybe you struggle with believing that Jesus really can overcome all this because you look at our world and it's so broken, it's so messed up, it seems like he is losing. Or, or maybe you don't struggle with that. Maybe, maybe you just struggle like looking at your own life and wonder how could God do anything with you at all. Or maybe you struggle just to believe that Jesus would ever love you. I don't know your doubts. I don't know where you struggle in believing, but I know that every one of us has them. And someday we will not struggle to believe because our faith will be sight. We'll be staring at Jesus, right? We we will be cheering. Jesus, you did it. You accomplished everything you said you would do. You did it. This won't be on, on the screen here, but also in Revelation 19, this, this great multitude is cheering. And they say, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. And this is why it says, for his judgments are true and just. That's another, that's another line a couple of years ago that just stopped me in my tracks. Right? That we'll see God deliver justice and we will cheer at his justice. I can't even imagine that. I, I don't think I've ever read of a court case where a punishment is given and I thought, yes, it's perfect. They nailed it. Right? With, with my own kids. 
Like, I can't even solve their fights. I can't figure out who did what and who is more to blame than the other. And yet we are going to cheer at the just judgments of God. And right now I struggle to imagine how, how I will cheer at that. But someday I will see it. I won't struggle to believe because there will be Jesus right there to see with my own eyes. And I suspect that the glory of Jesus will both take our breath away and cause us to sing and shout and cheer in response to seeing Jesus' glory on full display. This marriage supper is because of the lamb and it is for the lamb. Ever since Adam and Eve rebelled against God by by eating from that one tree, right? The tree of knowledge of good and evil. The one tree they were told, don't eat from this. Ever since then, we've we've needed our sin atoned for. We've needed our sin paid for. One thing that both the book of Leviticus and the author of Hebrews makes very clear is that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins, right? Sin had to be paid for with blood. And ever since Adam and Eve, creation's been waiting. It's been longing for a sacrifice that would pay for sin once and for all. I'm reminded of Isaac and Abraham, Genesis 22, uh, picking up partway in verse 7. Isaac says to his father Abraham, he says, Behold, the fire and the wood are here, but, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And if you know that story, sure enough, God does provide a lamb for that offering. But this question is to carry with us all the way to the Gospels, right? We know that blood must be shed, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Well, God will provide for himself the lamb for the offering he provided. He provided Jesus, the spotless lamb slain for sinners, Romans 5 six through eight. I love this. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Jesus on the day of this great celebration with his bride at this feast where his, his glory is fully displayed, he links to this celebration his death. Right? His great sin-conquering death for us is the headline of this celebratory feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And at this feast, he will be fully celebrated his glory fully on display. At this feast with the lamb, we will, we will grapple with his great love for us. Jesus told his disciples, greater love is known than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. And that is true. And now we are his friends, but when he laid down his life for us, we were still his enemies. He laid down his life for us before we were friends. Love is best measured. It is most, most clearly seen. It's best understood, not, not when things are smooth and easy and what we would call good, but in times of sacrifice. And we see our king's love for us by his sacrifice for us as the lamb. It is as the lamb that we most clearly see the glory of the king who left heaven, who took on flesh, who died the death of a criminal in order to save his bride, the church. So this feast is because of Jesus. It is for Jesus, right? It is completely appropriate that this historic feast is for the king. And John tells us it's a marriage feast, right? It's also for the bride. 
his church. So we worship the king who is the ultimate servant. He has given everything for his people. And this next point is probably obvious, but I want to make sure it's clear. Everyone at this marriage feast of the lamb loves Jesus. There will be no one in attendance who does not love Jesus. There will be no one there who just intellectually believes in Jesus. Right? And I'm not adding to what believing in Jesus is. I'm defining it. Believing in Jesus involves more than just your brain. Right? It, it involves your whole self. Those who believe in Jesus love Jesus. And, and when you meditate on his sacrifice for you, doesn't it just stir your affections for him? Right? When you think about him, the spotless lamb led to the slaughter to save you. Doesn't it just move your heart towards him like, like a tractor beam that just won't let you go? It makes my heart beat for Jesus. Right? When I think about him staying silent as he's accused over and over again, right? he remains silent because he wanted to die in your place and in my place. And I'm overwhelmed when I think about that. Right? When I remember the flogging, when, when I remember the, the crown of thorns, shoved onto his head, when I, when I remember his nail-pierced hands and his feet, my heart is drawn to my Savior. And do you love Jesus? Right? Does your heart long to be with Christ as a dad? This is my goal. Right? I just want to help my family know and love Jesus. And I can't make them do that. And some of you parents, you know that so much better than I do. I, I know it is the Holy Spirit that causes anyone to be born again, right? But I know I have a part to play. And I want to get to that feast. And I want to see my family. And I want to hug them. And I want to say, Jesus did it. I told you it would be worth it. I told you he was going to accomplish everything. He saved us. Man, I want that for our church. Right? I, I want to I get to heaven. I want to be at this feast. I want to find you and give you the biggest hug, even if we'd never hugged before because it was too awkward here or whatever. But I want to hug you and go, man, Jesus did it. Man, all those songs we sang about him over and over again, Sunday after Sunday, he did it. I want to look around with you and just marvel at the people that God gathered to himself. Man, do you want to go to the feast of the Lamb? I'm sure there are many churchgoers all over the world that are apathetic about Jesus' return. If all of us are honest, there, there are many times when we are apathetic about his return. We're so easily more concerned with our interests, our hobbies, we're more concerned with our, our bank accounts or, or whatever, whatever goals we have that yet remain unfulfilled. And do you come to a church service out of duty or tradition? I would hate for you to think that you'll be at this feast only to hear Jesus say to you, away from me, I never knew you. Are you prepared for the feast? The first passage we read in, in Revelation 19, I don't know if you caught it, but it says that the bride has prepared herself. Is your heart ready? Have you put on the, the righteous garments of Christ, right? Like, like the father in the story of the prodigal puts on his righteous robe. Paul writes about putting off the old self and putting on the new self, right? The one transformed by Jesus, the one 
the one being sanctified, which it, it just means becoming more and more like Jesus in our heart, soul, and mind, our actions. And do you, do you take growth in Jesus seriously, or are you just kind of seeing what happens, right? Like the senior in high school, right? They've got senioritis, and at some point they just set it on cruise control. Maybe that happened for you way before your senior year. But is that how we're, is that how we're living this life in Jesus, Right? Do, you take, do you take your New Year's resolutions more seriously than you do Jesus? Right? Are you more focused on, on weight loss and exercise goals or, or, or savings than you take growing in Christ? Right? Do we continue to put on what we should have put off by now? It's easiest to keep running back to our selfish, sinful ways than to run to Jesus. And in the process of being changed by the Spirit from one degree of glory to the next, it, it can be and often is a very painful process. But man, he's doing this to his bride. He's preparing us for this marriage feast. Maybe you don't feel close to Jesus. I want you to know this. If you do want to be at the feast, that's because Jesus is drawing you to himself. Right? Be encouraged that the Lamb has invited and he's put in your heart this, this desire to be with him, right? Even if you feel far from him, right? Maybe you feel so far from Christ, but I'd say to you, be encouraged because as strange as that may sound, you wouldn't even know that you should be near Christ if he hadn't put that in you. He's drawing you to himself. God is in the business of bringing those who are far off near to himself, as James wrote, draw near to him and he will draw near to you. So Jesus is calling you to himself. How have you responded? How are you responding today? How will you respond tomorrow and next week? Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Right? There's, there's no need to fear if Christ will accept you. Charles Spurgeon said there's never an unwillingness in Christ to receive those who come to him. The unwillingness, it's on our part. Revelation 9.19, we've read this over and over again already, but, but I want to look at this. He says, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. If you're invited to this marriage supper, this feast, to celebrate God with his people, you are blessed. And you see how it's written. Those who are invited are blessed. You're blessed right now. Not, not just in the future at that feast. Certainly you will be blessed then. There's no doubt about then. But, but, but right here, right now, right? Even if this has been the hardest season of your life, those who are invited to the feast are blessed. Borrowing an idea from, from Spurgeon, and I'm going to adapt it to our present day. Let's pretend uh, Queen Elizabeth II, still alive, um, and she sends for you. Uh, she sends you an invitation uh, for a couple weeks from now to come to a feast, the celebration that, that she is throwing, and you are to be her guest. Right? Think about how that invitation to this future event would impact right here, right now, every day. Right? It, it wouldn't matter it wouldn't matter what, what your, the place you live in is like, no matter how tiny it is or, 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 or dilapidated it is. In a matter of weeks, you'd be with the queen in her palace. In fact, it wouldn't even matter how nice your home is. 
right? The, the nicest home in this room, of, the, of us in this room, is nothing compared to the queen's. It wouldn't matter how much, how much or how little wealth you had accumulated. Your life over the, over the coming days as the, as the feast approaches with the queen, it could be quite miserable, but the invitation to the feast with the queen in view changes everything. And you could make it through those next days because soon, very soon, you'd be in the presence of the queen, dining with the queen and all the guests of the queen because the queen invited you, right? She wanted you there. Somehow, by no, by no work done on your part, she found out about you. She requested that you join her for this feast. So the weeks leading up to that feast, right? Or even if it was months away, even if it was next year, man, wouldn't it change your day today? I wonder what would no longer matter in light of that invitation. We overvalue so many things and we undervalue what is most important. I often say, or a lot of people say, the gospel is upside down, but the reality is we're the ones that are upside down. Jesus is what matters. So right now, the the marriage supper of the Lamb, it, it might seem really far off to you, but in the blink of an eye, it'll be here. And I don't know if that's weeks, months, years, I have no idea. I do know the older I get, the faster time flies. And we don't know how soon it will be, but before we know it, it will be here. And we will see Jesus, the King, face to face. And every trial, every turmoil, every, every difficult season will be as if it were nothing once we're in his presence. Right? I assure you what feels hard today, what feels overwhelming, maybe insurmountable, will no longer be so when we're with our Savior the one who laid down his life for ours, the one who gave himself up for us. He is going to return for his people and we get to live in light of that return. At the marriage supper of the Lamb, Christ's church will be complete. There's anticipation, there's preparation for this day of marriage. Christ has been preparing. He left heaven, he took on flesh, he laid down his life, he rose from the grave, he equipped the church The Spirit is sanctified, the bride who will be without spot or wrinkle on that day. There will be every saint saved by the blood of the Lamb gathered. And maybe you go, yeah, why hasn't he returned? Because he wants more people to come to him. 2 Peter 3, this won't be up there, but Peter says, he says he's patient towards you. He's not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He continues to give people the opportunity to respond to Jesus. He, he gives his people the opportunity to talk about Jesus, to invite others to know of the great love that we have from the King of Kings. Right? There are still groups of people who've never heard about Jesus, and God is going to save some from every people group. So back to the story of the prodigal, right? The, the son comes back. Dad throws this feast. The older son, he comes in from working the fields and and he hears, he hears the music. He hears the dancing. He sees one of the servants. He's like, what's going on in there? And and he finds out that his stupid brother came back. And, And dad is, dad's throwing a party to celebrate. And the older brother's furious. He's, he is livid. He refuses to come into the party. So dad comes out to him and, and he tries to reason with his son. And the son's like, dad, I've done 
everything you've ever asked of me. I I try to anticipate what you might ask of me to do what you want, and yet you've never thrown a party for me and my buddies. You've never slaughtered the fattened calf for me and my friends, even though I'm out here busting my butt for you every day. the, The younger son's counterfeit it was, it was different, or the older son's counterfeit was different than, than the younger son. The younger son said, I'm going to do whatever I want. The older son, he, he tried to live perfectly. He, I'm going I'm to earn my way. The dad says to him, you've always been with me. Everything I have has always been yours. Come in. He tries to get him to come into the party. Come in and celebrate. Your brother who once was lost has now been found. And then the story ends. Right? Jesus ends it on this cliffhanger. So you're left wondering, does he, does he refuse to come into the party? Does he finally come to his own senses and, and join the party? Right? And we're supposed to ask ourselves, what are you doing with Jesus' invitation? Are, are you going to come in? Are, are you going to celebrate with Jesus, the one who died to save you, or in your stubbornness, in your rebellion, Are you going to refuse to come in? Will you pray with me? Jesus, I I cannot do justice to what that day will be like. And Lord, honestly, I've spent so much of my Christian life really not anticipating that day, not looking forward to that day. God, I'm so thankful that by your grace, you continue to invite us through your word to anticipate your return. God, I pray that we would be a people that truly live in light of this invitation that we have from the king, from, from, from the lamb who is slain for us. There's a celebration that awaits all those who love you, all those who have trusted in you. And Jesus, as, as we take communion, we do it here each and every week. God, would, would that little taste of this cracker and that, that taste uh, of the juice, man, would it give us a taste? Would it give us a hunger and a thirst for that day when you will come again, when you will gather all of your people? Jesus, we love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. It's from Revelation 21. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said, uh, he said to me, It is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment to the one who conquers, will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Amen. You may be seated. Um, each week in this series, we've, we've given you, uh, we've offered a practice um, to, 
to take home and, and do. And, and we've got uh, a printout that I think you received today of, of all the practices through the series. But, but today's is, is just a feast on the goodness of God, past, present, and future. Um, as, we, as we wrap up this year, it just seems like an incredibly appropriate time to, to think about, to remember everything that Christ has done for you. And you, you could do that. Like if you're a journaler, you could journal your heart out. If you're like me and you've tried to journal multiple times and it's never worked out for you, you can just talk about it with other people. Um, you can share with, with friends, family, who, whoever. But, but let's, let's spend some time feasting on, on God by, by marveling at who he is and what he has done.